God has certainly been very good to each of us to permit us to assemble on this first day of the week this morning. And certainly we're thankful for that opportunity. And it's our honest and our earnest hope that our service will glorify the name of God. And certainly each of us can be blessed and benefited by being here as well. You may have already noticed I've given this morning's lesson the title, The Clock of Life. It certainly would be something often said with regard to sermons. That they're too long. Well, I'd like to ask, so what time is it? I know we can each look at the clock and we can at least appreciate the measure of what that involves. But the lesson's not going to so much be about reading time that way. But rather, this introductory slide will move us into the following observation. Isn't it amazing how often we're surrounded by clocks? They're on our walls. Maybe at your house you may well have several of them. You wear one on your wrist. At least many of us do. Our cell phones, of course, have them. Computers have them. And often, even if we don't specifically look at a clock, we at least have enough sense to appreciate that that we live on a schedule and we at least gauge our day in relation to that clock. Well, did you know that the Bible has much to say about time and clocks? In Hosea 10 verse 12, this ancient Old Testament prophet, God speaking through him said, It's time to seek the Lord. And so it is that today we're going to remind ourselves about this, the urgency of it and the nature of it, but we'll use a clock to help us do that. I'd like to begin the lesson then with an initial preparation, a foundation in many ways for much of what's going to follow it, but it'll do us well to be reminded of and to appreciate the lessons you'll notice on that slide. Human life, in fact, all life, but we're going to talk about human life in particular, it clearly is from God. Rocks didn't just come to life at some point in the distant past, regardless what some so-called scientist would want to have us believe. It never happened that way. Life came from God. Genesis 2, 7 says, "...and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground." and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That initial statement of Genesis 2, verse number 7, in many ways, Paul elaborated on that in Acts 17. As he stood there on Mars Hill and preached to the intelligentsia of ancient Greece, it was to them, he said, in Him, namely in God, we live and move and have our very being. It simply is a fact that as you and I appreciate the human character, God has blessed us so, equipping us with skills and capabilities and talents. For that reason, look at the next point. Life is a great blessing. Psalm 139 verse 14 reminds us, as the ancient psalmist presented it, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Each and every one of us can truly and correctly make the statement, then what a blessing our life is and what a blessing God intended it to be. But all of that prepares us for the next two, which are not quite so positive, but they're true statements. Life is so uncertain. It is so filled with that which you and I do not know tomorrow. Don't you like how David put it in 1 Samuel 20 verse 3? There it was David who himself asserted, there's only a step between me and death. 
You know, none of us, again, know the particulars of tomorrow. So many things could change. So many things we may have planned will never come to fruition because circumstances arise which we never foresaw. David said, there's only a step between me and death. The next one only echoes that sentiment like this in 2 Samuel 14, 14. That wise woman of Tekoa, didn't she say, we are as water spilt on the ground which cannot be gathered again. We pass through this life one time. We all know that. We understand from experience that that's the case. For that reason, look at the last one in Psalm 39, 4. There the psalmist made this great plea. Help me to know the end of my days, for I am so frail. You and I, are all, all of us are frail. With all of that, then look at the next one. Life is brief. Life is brief. I know that as our years turn into decades, and we appreciate the number of years, and sometimes we count that in, in perhaps extensive numbers. But it never changes the following fact. It's begin like this in Job 7 verse 6. That ancient man of us, that great patriarch on that occasion asserted, my life is as a weaver shuttle. Have you ever watched someone sew on a sewing machine how quickly the thread winds around the thimble or spindle? And as you watch a loom in motion, how quickly that structure moves about. Job said, my life is like that. It passes so quickly. It passes so very rapidly. Two chapters later in Job chapter 9, he would liken life, my life is swifter than a post. Now I realize as you and I read that, we might need to be cautious. We think about a fence post. It just stands there. It never moves. That's not the kind of post that Job had in mind. A post was an action individual who would ride on typically a very fast horse or would run exceedingly quickly and take news from one location to another. Think of it like the ancient postal system. Job said, my life is faster than this postal runner. Now, those, of course, were chosen for their rapidity and their quickness and aloofness of foot. Job said, my life is that way. Let's add to that another one. In Job 14, 1, Job there said, man that's born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Few days. I think it's rather interesting in light of all of these things so far, reminding us of the brevity and uncertainty of life, let's jump into the New Testament to James chapter 4. Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we'll go into a city and buy and sell and get gain. For what is your life? It is but a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. James said, your life and mine is very much like a vapor, a fog. Oh, it'll appear after a rain shower like that advection fog, and then just as soon as the temperature rises, it's gone. Our life is that way. No wonder, in light of all these appreciations, the bottom of that slide is now before us. Our life on this planet is short. It passes so quickly. You may have noticed it, uh, I think, at one point. 
recently there was a news article that made the following observation. Haven't we each been impressed with the discoveries and advancements of science? The particulars that have aided to make the quality of life better and stronger, and yet are you and I aware of the fact that the expectation for the length in life today is the same as it was 2,000 years ago? The average lifespan is really not much different now than it was then. Look at these verses. In Psalm 90, verse number 10, The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, and we are cut off and soon fly away. Threescore years and ten, that's seventy. And if by reason of strength, perhaps fourscore years, that's eighty. In a moment, we're going to highlight those numbers again from a slightly different angle. But would you be impressed that here was a man that lived 3,000 years ago and said the lifespan's between 70 and 80 years. With that in mind, note this. Our life on this planet, unless the Lord delays His coming, will end in death for every one of us. We may well have often attended the funeral home, and we may have often visited the cemetery. And you and I understand that those things are significant. But you and I know we're heading the same place, and we're journeying in that same direction. No wonder then, in Hebrews 9.27 it says, there's an appointment, and it's described like this. Hebrews 9 verse 27 as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Certainly in Psalm 90 verse 12, in light of a conclusion to some of what we've said, this is a fair statement. Teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Given that life is uncertain, and given that it's brief, the psalmist pleaded with God, teach me to number my days that I might live wisely, that I might apply my heart to wisdom, those ought to be the sentiments of every one of us. Let's use the rest of our time then to perhaps be a bit more specific. How do I do this? Let's use a clock to help us out. And I've just shown one that will be a reminiscent one to some of those we're going to see later. Here is a picture of an analog clock. And at the top of that slide is the most recent statistic that I was able to find. The average life expectancy of a citizen of the state of Tennessee is 76.3 years. That's right between the three score years and ten and the four score years, isn't it? And yet, 3,000 years later, the life expectancy of a person in the state of Tennessee is 76.3 years. Now, I realize that certainly other states, that may vary slightly, but not much. And I also appreciate that women, it may be a little bit more than men, so this is the average. But let's use it. You'll notice the clock recorded the time that our services began in worship this morning, 10.30 a.m. Our first observation. Consider a 12-year-old. A youngster who has reached the age of 12. Now, according to our clock, what I'd like you to do with me for the duration of this lesson is picture the human lifespan as one day. 
we're going to appreciate the meaning of the life on earth in terms of a day. So a 24-hour period of time from midnight to midnight. And so this youngster who is age 12, are you aware of the fact that on average that individual has already lived 16% of his or her life based on a 76.3 year total? 16% of it's already gone. And so on the clock, that would bring you to 3.46 a.m. in the morning. And certainly as a youngster reaches the age of 12, there perhaps is this tendency to think, I've got a lot of years left. I don't have to be so careful and mindful about wisdom in light of these years. Young person, don't make that mistake. 16% of your life's already gone on average. Don't waste those years. Those early years of life are critical. Those times in life, your body is filled with eagerness and vigor and vitality. There's great energy to be observed, and your mind is as keen then as it'll ever be. Use your mind wisely. Commit things to memory, namely the Word of God, and it'll stay with you the rest of your days. Use that time to great benefit and blessing for yourself, your family, and others. Sometimes youngsters, it would seem from our society, think that I can sow wild oats now and I'll obey Jesus later. That is a mistake. That is a gigantic mistake. You don't ever know that tomorrow will come. And your mindset may be such that it'll change in life and you'll never be as close to the Lord again as you are at that moment. Obey the Lord early in life and be faithful to Him always. Look at some of these verses. In 1 Timothy 4, verses 13 to 16, Paul urged Timothy that though he was young, he said, don't neglect the gift that's in you. Timothy, you have a skill, you have a passion and a capability, and do not waste it. Young people, there's much you can do to serve the Lord. There's much you can do of great influence. Don't waste those early years in life. In verse 12 of that same chapter, we are reminded of this. Let no man despise thy youth. I'll frankly confess, there will be a lot of others at school who won't appreciate your stance if you stick to this book. They'll insult you, they'll blaspheme you, they won't befriend you. But again, Paul would say, let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity in faith, in purity. Let your life be an example of goodness and rightness. You will not regret it. Not only that, one last thing on that slide. 2 Timothy 2 verse 22 reminds those that are young, we realize their passions in life. The inspired writer says, flee youthful lusts. There will be people that will get you in trouble. They will encourage you to do certain things and you need to be strong enough to say, I don't think I'll do that. I'm not going to do that. Be a person of strong character. Let's turn the hands on the clock. A person who is 18 years old now. Again, 24% of your life on average is now gone. 24% of it. According to the hands on the clock, you are now at 20 minutes till 6 in the morning. Clearly, as one reaches the age of 18, 
you have probably either about to or just graduated high school. There's a great new independence that you're ready to appreciate, and things seem so thrilling. It's easy to get caught up in the dangers we're about to discuss. It's easy to become misdirected at an age like that. After all, you've already studied for at least 12 years, and probably there's at least four more in college, and maybe even beyond that, and education seems to have the answers to everything. Human education will never have all the answers. And may I suggest, in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 12, we're reminded, even as Solomon did it, much study of the making of many books, there is no end. But let's add to that the following, 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. The oppositions of science, falsely so-called. It's at that age that you may have already encountered many very smart people who will insist on certain things in life and viewpoints that they claim are right, and they'll often insult this book. And if you're not careful, you'll fall right in step with them. But remember, those are the oppositions in science. That's not true knowledge. That misdirection leads me to one more. It's so critical at an age like that one to keep in mind the absolute meaning, why you're on this planet. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The fullness of what you and I are or ever can be is centered around obeying God, being faithful to Him. This 18-year-old, of course, has just entered into a new regime in life. And perhaps, as you and I at least imagine, turning the clock to another age. Let's now turn it to the age of 30. So probably by this point, this person has completed schooling, maybe even now has begun a family. But the age of 30 brings some new challenges and certainly some new viewpoints that many wish to adopt. May I say that by the time you reach age 30, almost 40% of your life on average is gone. Isn't that amazing? 40% of it gone, two-fifths of it's behind you. On the clock, that brings us to 9.25 a.m. That day's passing quickly, isn't it? A 30-year-old, by that time, perhaps you have a job, and you're excited about promotions and climbing the ladder. It seems that everything centers around the materialistic world of gain. I want to build the house, build the bank account. I want cars for myself and my family. If one isn't careful, the following dangers can be very apparent. Money seems critical at that point. So much so that one may come to the point of building everything in life around it. The Word of God would have you and I to very clearly remember the following passage in Matthew 6, 24. It's so tempting to think, I can serve God and worship money all at the same time. But Jesus said that is an impossibility. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. Now the Lord made that statement 2,000 years ago. And isn't it as true today as it was then? You and I can't bow at the shrine of money and be faithfully servant to God at the same time. It just will not work. 
And so that 30-year-old needs to remember that although family and home and those matters are important, they must not take top priority. The next verse that I would ask you to note, I mentioned earlier about that individual who seems so thrilled and so focused to make sure his or her name rises in consideration. And yet, didn't Jesus say in Matthew 23, 11, that the one who is the greatest will be your servant? Oh, don't we need to remember that? One last thing on that slide is this. The age of 30, of course, is in my rearview mirror, as it is for many of you as well. And it's so easy at an age like that to become cynical, to think that nothing is as it seems. And it's true that there's much advertisement that at the very least is misleading, if not absolutely false. But may you and I appreciate there is a truth that can never be set aside. And it is the bedrock upon which wisdom will lead one to base life. Jesus forever taught, and don't you and I remember, and maybe when we were young we noted it, there's a foolish man who built his house on the sand, but there's a wise man that built his house on the rock. May you and I not forget that as 30-year-olds, we can still make the mistake of the foolish man. Start building on what's shaky, what won't last. Because didn't Jesus say that the rock upon which the wise man built was his teachings? If we veer from that, we too are acting with foolishness. Let's turn the hands of the clock again. This time, let's come to age 50. We now are probably middle-aged or perhaps a bit more. Look at the percentage now, my friends. In an average of 76.3 years, 65% of life is now behind you. Well over half. That means on the clock we have come to 15 minutes till 4 in the afternoon. You'll notice we're approaching sundown. But not only that, consider some of the dangers that can be apparent at the age of 50. Certainly by now, much of the character of job and family have been completed. Maybe the kids are grown and they've already even left the house. But this comes a time in life when there is a great danger of one's love being directed for the ease and for the peacefulness that comes with this world. There's a story that is told, and it's a true one. There was a couple, as I understand it, they were living in Florida. And they, of course, were faithful people to the Lord's church. And so every Sunday you could count on them being there. But they had reached an age about what we're studying now. And they bought a piece of land some distance away near the lake. So that on weekends they could enjoy that, that cabin. They could enjoy that time of respite and retirement and rest. And so what they would do is on Friday afternoon after finishing work, they would pack up their stuff and head out to that place that they had bought. And then they'd spend the weekend working there and enjoying it. But they made sure to come back Saturday night so they could attend the church services on Sunday and be part of the Lord's people at their home congregation. But after a little while, they came to the point, you know, if we stayed until Sunday, we could get more work done. And you know, if we got up early enough Sunday morning, we can certainly make it back in time for Bible study. So why don't we just stay Saturday night as well? 
Well, that went on for a little while, but soon they had the bright idea, you know what, if we stayed even longer, we could get more work done. And we could get there in time for the worship, we'll just have to miss Bible study. And so they did that. And it wasn't a little bit while longer until the idea came. You know, if we just stayed all weekend, we could enjoy this house we bought. Doesn't God want us to enjoy the fruits of our labor? We'll just unfortunately have to miss the church services. And it wasn't very long till they never darkened the doors of a church building. They loved this world too much. They grew closer and closer to it gradually. And soon it overwhelmed them. As 50-year-olds or even other ages, we'll have to be mindful of something like this. In 1 John 2.15, aren't we told, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. In James chapter 4, something rather similar is told to us wherein if we are friends with the world, we're the enemies of God. Clearly, a 50-year-old then needs to recognize that by now you have developed your skills and maybe you have a fantastic set of hobbies. And it's pretty easy to begin to trust in yourself. I've enjoyed a job for 30 years now. I have climbed the ladder of success. My family, my wife, these things, this nice land I own, I've done this. It's awfully tempting to trust in yourself. Look what I have done. Sounds a lot like that rich fool in Luke chapter 12. You may recall that he said, as Jesus told that particular parable, His crops bought for so much, and you know what I'll do? I'll put them in the barn, and I'll lay them up, and I'll t- 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 say to my soul, Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Thou hast many goods laid up for many years, but yet God in reply said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Isn't it interesting then that it seems as though the sentiment's very similar to the one we're imagining. This 50-year-old, then let's close the slide with Job 121. May we each keep in mind then the uncertainty comes to those things that, that we own. Job was a rather wealthy man and he lost it all. He lost his animals. He lost his children. He lost so many of his possessions and yet his reply was this, Naked came I into this world and naked shall I return thither. The Lord hath given and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I hope each of us could have an attitude like that in the midst of crisis and loss. Let's turn the hands of the clock. 65 years of age. 65 years of age. 85% of the average lifespan of a Tennessean is now passed. On the clock, we've now come to 8.27 p.m., You'll notice it's dark now. At this point, you notice another set of dangers. Age 65 is known as roughly retirement age. It's time to enjoy the efforts and the labors that have been put aside for years. May I suggest that we keep this in mind. We must never, ever retire from God. He gave no retirement age for Christianity. 
For, for instance, in Psalm 92, 14, even in the heart of the Old Testament, there it says, even in old age I'll bring forth fruit unto God. Even when you reach age 65, there those years of wisdom and those years of experience that have been acquired can be a powerful and wonderful guide to those who are younger and to those who are witnessing and watching the steps to take in matters of decision. Wouldn't it be fair to point out Genesis 5.32? When God was going to bring a flood of waters upon the earth, there was one man He commissioned to build an ark. How old was Noah at that point? Fifty? Eighty? As you and I revisit Genesis 5, you'll discover he was 500 years old. God chose a 500-year-old man to build an ark, and He did it. He and His family constructed that ark and, of course, saved themselves and those animals that were aboard. Isn't it interesting? And the next ones are even more impressive. In Acts 7.23, when God's people were languishing and suffering under the blight of bondage in Egypt, he chose a man at a burning bush to deliver them. How old was he? Eighty. An eighty-year-old man. He didn't choose a twenty-year-old, a thirty-year-old, even a fifty-year-old. He chose a man named Moses, and at that point he was age eighty. May you and I be impressed then that even as we arrive at years that are older, there's still as much that can be accomplished in our life for the service to the Master. One by one, as we've looked at all of these times, may I suggest that there's one main one left. I picked age 75. In the state of Tennessee, on average, that would mean 98% of life is now lived. According to the hands of the clock, we're at 11.35 p.m., 25 minutes till midnight, 25 minutes before the average death. With that in mind, you'll notice that by this point, a person perhaps has become rather negative in orientation. I can't see well anymore. I can't hear well anymore. I certainly can't move quickly anymore. And perhaps frustration sets in. A sense of hollowness. I just can't do anything. I hope that as you and I reach an age like that, that we'll remember the Word of God gives us some warnings. Don't allow your faith to be hollow. Don't let those negative appreciations of the weariness of the body detract from the strength of your faith. Paul would say it like this in Romans 13, 11, As you and I leave and proceed on through life, we are closer to our salvation than when we were in the past. Don't you like that positive attitude? As you age, you're only closer to your heavenly reward if you're faithful. You're only closer to enjoying the great fruits of righteousness if you've been faithful. To that, we might add that verse in Matthew 5, verse 3. That's a rather well-known passage. Jesus speaking said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they which are persecuted, when men shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Perhaps you and I should know that in that list, is there anything there that would mean that old people are exempt? Can an older person be strong in spirit, a lover of the Word of God, a peacemaker, an individual who's meek? Can an older person be a person who is merciful? Absolutely. You see, there is still so much that can be done by way of example, if by no other means. And let's close that slide then with that text in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul asserted to the church in Corinth how sweet it is to think about the victory that is to be had in Jesus. And that victory brings us to the final slide, the conclusion of the sermon. The matter that is going to be a challenge, I hope, to you and I, there's one more clock to view. This one is striking midnight. The time of death has come. All of those things we've studied, the age of 12 has come and gone, the age of 18 has come and gone, the age of 30 has come and gone, the age of 50 has come and gone. So the age of 65 and so the age of 75. Now the question comes, as you'll notice on that slide, life is brief and it's uncertain. The Word of God would say this to you and me, Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Our time here is so short. Are we using it wisely? What time is it? It's time to seek the Lord, Hosea 10 verse 12. The gospel plan of salvation is this. If there's someone in this audience and has never become a Christian, the hands on the clock are ticking. They're passing you by. The greatest thing in life so far you haven't taken care of. Don't you want to become a Christian? Jesus died for you. And He put this plan of salvation in place. You've got to believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Believe His gospel to be true. Repent of your sins. That is to say, turn aside from them. Don't love that kind of life anymore. Then make an audible confession in the hearing of others that you believe with all of your heart Jesus is the Son of God. And at that point, Someone will immerse you into Christ. Baptism is what we call it. When you come out of that watery grave, all your sins are gone. They've been forgiven and cleansed, remitted. And you at that point are as pure and clean. And yet, at that point, you begin your life in Christ. Live faithfully. It could be that someone in this audience is not faithful. You were a Christian at one time and faithful, but... Your life has come to be far more known for unfaithfulness. Don't you want to come back to living for the Lord? Your clock is ticking as well. And if you die in that condition, you're lost. Second Peter 2 verses 22 and previous tells us that. Today, if we could be of assistance in you to rededicate your life, come down this aisle. Ask us to pray to God on your behalf, and as you repent and confess those sins, He's promised to forgive them. The clock's approaching midnight. May you and I live wisely.
If we could help anybody at this point in the service, we invite you to come now. Well, together we stand and while we sing.